is not just a symbol that we paint on buildings and wear around our necks, but it is the instrument of torture and death on which our Lord was sacrificed. We are so grateful for that gift of salvation that we have and the grace that inspired it. Thank you so much for being at work in our hearts and lives, in our community, for being at work in this world. Not only as we walk with you and serve with you, but often in spite of us, you accomplish your will, you accomplish your purpose. Once again, Father, we pray that as we give thanks this morning, we might learn to rest, we might learn to trust as you work and as you accomplish your purpose. Would you speak to us now this morning? We pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our hearts, that you would quiet the other voices in our heads, that we would set aside all distraction and hear you today. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. Have a seat, please. Let's say that you've got something that needs to be done, something important, something with a lot at stake, something that would really impact your life. Now tell me what you think would be easier, to find somebody that you can put it in their hands and trust them to get it done, or to go ahead and do it yourself? Now, some of the more enlightened of us in the crowd might say, oh, well, I would find somebody who could do it and I would trust them to do it so I can go ahead and do the other things that need to be done. But most of us would say what? I'm going to do this myself. And, and why do we do that? Why do we say I'm going to do it? Let's say you're busy. Let's say you've got a thousand things to do in this. There's somebody else right there that's willing to help you, that wants to help you. And yet we still do it ourselves. Why is that? Because we know that we can only, what? Trust ourselves. I'm the one that's got to get this done. I'm the one that knows how it needs to happen. I'm the one that knows what I need. Our human nature causes us to have a tendency to handle things ourselves, even if someone else has promised to do it, even if someone else is willing to do it, this is what comes naturally to us. We have a tendency to fight and to scrap and to work and to do whatever it takes to get done what needs to be done. We all exert our will and our resources on the problems and the situations that we face. Now, in a spiritual sense in our lives, we tend to have the same thought. We exert our will. We expend our resources to accomplish the things that, that we believe need to take place in our lives, even in a spiritual sense. And that often causes even more problems because of our sinfulness. Think about what we've seen so far in Genesis. If you've been with us the last couple of months and, and you've seen what's happened to this point, then you know that the book of Genesis, the whole Bible, starts with God himself creating the world, the earth, a perfect place, 
the Garden of Eden, and he puts Adam and Eve, who are sinless, in this garden. And what does he tell them? He says, everything that you need is here. It's all here. They only have to do one thing, and that is trust God. Trust that what he is telling them is true. Trust that if they are obedient in every way that he has instructed them, that they will indeed have everything that they need. All of their needs will be supplied and taken care of. And yet we know that not very long into that scenario, Adam and Eve decide that they don't want to trust God. What do they want to do? They want to exert their will on the situation to meet their needs. And of course, sin enters into the world. Not very long after sin enters the world, murder enters the world. And in a few generations, we read that every thought of man's heart is only evil continually. And God says, I've got to wipe this whole civilization out. And in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, we read about the flood. God starts again with eight people and gives them his blessing and makes a covenant with them. And all they have to do is what? It's the same answer as last time. Trust that what God said is true. And a hundred years later, we have the Tower of Babel. Let us take care of this. Let's make a name for ourselves, they said. God judges again. Then God calls Abraham out of his pagan background, out of this lifestyle, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your family number like the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky, and every family in the earth is going to be blessed because of you. And we've seen over the last three weeks that through a series of tests, Abraham learned to put his faith and trust in God. He was not a perfect man by any sense. In fact, we saw, didn't we, that some of the tests he failed. But he did learn to trust God. Now today, we're going to dive into a new character named Jacob. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. So the promise that God made to Abraham that he would make his family great He gave him a son, Isaac, the son of promise. Isaac, in turn, had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob is the younger of this set of twin boys. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three events in Jacob's life. And we're going to see something very interesting. That is that like his grandfather, Jacob had to learn to trust God and not rely on his own resourcefulness. By the way, as we all do, don't we? We're learning through this study of Genesis that God has a plan for the world. And that God has a plan for us, his people. And we must lean into what God has promised us. He is for us. He will bless And he will provide for those who live according to his word. That's what we're learning. So we're going to jump in here. I want to introduce you to Jacob by reading you one account 
of an interaction between him and his twin brother Esau. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 25. We're going to be in Genesis 25, and then in a minute we're going to turn over to Genesis 27. So be ready for that. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. We're going to read a lot of verses today. I know, it's exciting. I know you're ready for it. You've been limbering up your mind, getting ready to think this morning, which is good. We've got to read a lot of verses because we've got to see what's happening here. It's really going to lay the groundwork for us to understand what's taking place. So Genesis 25, we're going to start reading in verse 29. And this really, as you can see, jumps right into the middle of one of the interactions between Jacob and Esau, these twin boys, Abraham's grandchildren. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And as Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Now, you're missing all of this, and I would too if I didn't have some really good books on my bookcase. You're missing all of this, but there's a little bit of a play on words here in this scenario, because Esau's name means red. I don't know why, it just that's what it means. It means red. And Jacob is making red stew. Did anybody see the... Were you watching when I was... Okay, so Esau's name is red. He's making red stew. And it says, therefore, his name was called Edom. That's a nickname that Esau had, apparently, which also means red. I don't know why any of that matters to what we're reading here, but I just wanted you to know that's why that's in there. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, swear to me now. So Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. That's an interesting little cameo there, isn't it? Now, we know that Esau is an outdoor guy, and Jacob is an indoor guy. And I'm not just taking that from this. Literally, earlier in the chapter, it says, Esau liked to be out in the field, and Jacob liked to stay in the tent. They were very different, even though they were twins. Esau's out in the field. He's either working his farm, or he's hunting, or he's doing something. He comes in, he says, I'm exhausted, I'm famished, I'm going to die. A little dramatic, but... That's what he says. And Jacob says, as he stirs the stew, sell me your birthright. Now, it doesn't sound like much to us because we don't do this anymore in our culture. But in this culture, this was huge. This was huge. The birthright was Esau's because he was the oldest son it was a double portion of inheritance from their father. It was a, a favored position, a position of privilege in the family, a position of authority in the family. And when Isaac, their father, died, Esau would become the patriarch. This was a big deal. Jacob was a schemer. We're going to see that more over the next few weeks as we look at his life. And Esau was careless 
That's what the word despised there. It says Esau despised his birthright. He was careless. Whatever. Whatever. Just give me the stew. I'm starving. And we see here that Esau was living in the moment. Now just a note for us. We're laying the groundwork here and some background for what we're going to see here in a moment. But as I read that, I was thinking about all the times in our lives that we must be careful of. Those times when we are exhausted, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and we're tempted to trade what has tremendous lasting value for what is merely expedient, what matters in the moment. That's what Esau did, and how easy it is for us to do that sometimes as well. Well, the reason why I think this little story is also interesting and unfortunate and sinful and even instructive for us is because of what happened while Rebekah was pregnant. Rebekah was Isaac's wife, the mother of Esau and Jacob. And I want you to see in Genesis 25 and verse 23 what we read here. The Lord said to Rebekah, while she was expecting, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you, or two peoples from within you, shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So Isaac and Rebekah are married. Rebekah becomes pregnant, and the Lord comes to her and says, you're having twins. Usually the ultrasound tech does that, but obviously Rebekah hadn't had her ultrasound yet. So the Lord said... You're having twins. And I want to tell you something about these twins. Each one of them is going to be the father of a whole people group. Now remember the promise that was made to these boys' grandfather, to Rebecca's father-in-law, Abraham. I'm going to make your family great. I'm going to have them number as the sands of the seashore. So both of these boys will father a whole people group, but the older will serve the younger. That's going to be a problem because that just doesn't happen in this culture. But this is going to be a unique child. This is going to be a unique situation. And God is promising to bless and prosper Jacob. That happens before he is even born. Okay, now let's fast forward a few decades. We're over to Genesis 27 now in verse 1. Hang on, we've got a lot of verses to read here. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, to him and said, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So here's Isaac, the boy's father. He believes he's at the end of his life. He knows what God has said. He knows the promise that God made to Rebekah that Esau would serve Jacob, that Jacob was the son of blessing, that he was the one who was going to rise up and Esau would be subservient to him. But Isaac still wants control here and he wants Esau to have the blessing. 
How do we know that? Well, we know that because of what he's saying here. We also know that because, again, back in verse 25, another passage that we didn't take time to read, we learn there that Isaac and Rebekah have favorites. It says very clearly in the scripture that, that Isaac favored Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So their whole lives, these two boys have been at each other, and they've been separated by even their parents' love. And so Isaac tries to subvert that, and he says, Esau, go out and hunt. You're a great hunter. Go get some game and prepare it just the way that you know I like it and come in, and I want to give you a blessing. So Isaac is trying to manipulate the situation to the way that he wants it to be. The patriarchal blessing would have been words of encouragement, perhaps prophetic words regarding Esau's future and requesting and conferring the blessing of God on that person. That's what Isaac wanted for Esau. I don't want Jacob to have this. I want Esau to have it. And a passing of, of the mantle of family leadership. Even though Jacob has already gotten Esau's birthright, Isaac knows he wants this to belong to Esau. Look at verse 5. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So, man, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of manipulation. Jacob comes by his scheming honestly here because Rebecca was a schemer. She is listening. She's eavesdropping outside the tent flap while Isaac is talking to Esau. And she comes up with this whole plan to deceive her husband. Now what's happened here? Has she forgotten God's promise to her? His promise to bless and prosper her younger son Jacob? We don't know. Has she forgotten it or has she just decided not to trust God to what? Do what he has already said. Do what he has already promised. Notice right at the end of that passage, one thing that stands out to me as I read it. Jacob pushes back a little bit. I mean, he's a schemer too, but even for him, this is, this is a little too much. And he pushes back. But Rebecca says, let your curse be on me. What a terrible thing to model for her son, first of all. But she says, don't worry about the consequences, Jacob. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. By the way, that doesn't work. I'll take the consequences. Let the curse be on me. We all face the consequences of our own actions. 
That's why it's so important for us to understand who we are before God and what He has promised to us. Because we will bear the consequences of our sin. Verse 14. So he, that is Jacob, went and took them, that is the goats, and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. I mean, Esau must really have been hairy because... <laughs> The solution for Rebekah was to put the goat skin on Jacob. Anyway, uh, and she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So Rebekah has just inserted herself into this whole situation of deceiving and manipulating her husband and encouraging her son to lie and deceive his father for what? I, want you, I keep saying this, I want you to get this because it's going to matter here when we get to the end. For what God has already promised to Jacob. Okay? Verse 18. So he, that is Jacob, went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son. Jacob's fears were well founded. So Jacob went near his father who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Line number one, I am Esau. Line number two, God granted me success out in the field. That's why I got here so fast. And then Isaac responds, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Line number three, I really am Esau. Jacob is all in here. And by the way, isn't this true? It's never just one lie. When we lie, when we manipulate, when we deceive, when we scheme, it's never just one lie. And it certainly wasn't for Jacob. Verse 26, then his father said, Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Again, these promises of blessing had already been made. God was going to do that. The deception and lies were unnecessary. Look at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father, Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. 
he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, O my father. Isaac knew instantly when Esau came in and spoke to him. He knew what had happened. He knew that Jacob had deceived him. He knew that he had been manipulated. And Isaac also knew that he tried to subvert God's plan as well. Isaac knew the promise. Isaac knew that Jacob would be the favored one. Isaac knew that Jacob already had the birthright. What I want you to see here as we move into the application of this whole story for us is that all four of them, all four of them were trying to take control of what God had planned. Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob, they all acted sinfully. But God's sovereign purpose, rather, was still being accomplished. Remember what we've seen in Genesis so far? God puts his plan in motion, man sins. God continues. He reestablishes his covenant. He gives judgment. He gives restoration. He gives grace. That has happened time and again already in the book of Genesis. We see it here that his plan is still moving forward in the midst of and despite all of the deception because God had a plan in mind for Jacob's life and he was going to do it. So how do we use this for our lives in 2022? There's a couple of thoughts here I want to share with you as you process this in your context. And let me start by saying this. You need to lean into what God has promised for you. He is for you. As his child, God has promised to bless you and to keep you as you walk according to his word. Does it always seem like things are going to work out the way that they need to? When you look at God's blessing and what God has promised, does it always look at when you see your life and what's currently happening today, does it always look like what it's supposed to be? No. No, it doesn't. But he has promised to bless and to keep and to strengthen and to guide and to use those who live according to his word. Listen to this verse from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31. This is from Jesus' first public teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus said, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Notice this. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God knows the plan that he has for you. God knows what you need. And he has promised to supply it. But how often by our own efforts and by our own manipulations do we try to make happen what God has already promised that he will do? How often do we, do we not want to wait for God to restore or to provide or to bless and so we take matters into our own hands because we are not patient to wait? When we see what Rebecca and Jacob did, we understand and we realize that they actually gained nothing that God had not already planned to give, but instead they lost so much. What did Rebecca say to Jacob to quell his misgivings? She said, let your curse be upon me, son. But it wasn't. This was the last time that Jacob was going to see his beloved mother alive. Because as soon as Esau came in and found out what, would ha what had happened, and after he got over his distress about what Jacob had done, do you know what he said? If we were to take time to read that, do you know what, what Esau said? He said, where is that scheming, conniving little brother of mine? I'm going to kill him. And Esau spent the next couple of decades of his life literally chasing Jacob and trying to kill him. Jacob never saw his mother again. Jacob was, was driven away from his home and family for decades. Later, as Jacob sought to establish himself, he was deceived by his uncle in a somewhat similar way to how he had deceived his father. In Jacob's life, even though God did fulfill his promise, God did make Jacob a mighty nation. Jacob had 12 sons. A few generations later, there would be a million and a half in Jacob's family. And even though God did keep his promise to bless him and to multiply him, his family life was full of conflict until he died. And if you read the end of the book of Genesis, you'll see that Jacob died a miserable man a long ways from home. This is a warning for us. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You see, God's not just into outcomes. He cares about methods and motivations. We must pursue God's will His way. We must understand what He has promised us and not seek by deceit and manipulation or mere human effort what God has already promised you. Do not sacrifice the immeasurable blessing of God for here and eternity on the altar of your ego or your effort or your desire. Now, of course, we're not Jacob. God hasn't promised to make each of us a great nation. He hasn't promised that people will bow down before us. 
But he has promised to be our God. He has promised that we will be his people. He has given us his precious word. He's given us the gospel. And he has promised that if we live according to his word, if we pass that on to our children, and they to their children, that he will bless us. That he will care for us. That he will work through us. That he will build his church. Those are his promises to us. I want you to listen over the next few moments to the song of blessing as we close our service together. Friends, he is for you. He is for us. He has promised to be our God and we to be his people. Must trust him. We must not seek to manipulate our way to, by our own efforts, accomplish what only God can do. Will you trust him? Will you trust him with your life, with your family? This is his promise to us. Sinfulness of mankind, his promise also is, will never derail the purposes of God. I'm so thankful for that. There's so many times when I don't trust, and I should, that God will accomplish his purpose. Father, thank you so much for the ultimate blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. We thank you for your favor, which is upon us. Thank you for your mercy. There are so many times when, like Jacob, we have, we have tried to manipulate to accomplish what we think needs to be done. Forgive us, Father. May we not sacrifice what is eternal and so precious on the altar of what is expedient. May we wait. May we rise up on wings like eagles and soar. And may we see your blessing on our families. I pray for every family that is here this morning, that they will know your strength and blessing as they prostrate themselves before the throne. As they lay themselves at your feet, Father, would you guide them? Would you guide the moms and the dads here this morning as they raise their children in this wicked generation? May they know your grace and strength to make good decisions. I pray for every teenager that is here, Lord, that they might not sacrifice the wonderful gifts that you have given them on the altar of what our world says is pleasurable. Pray for every single person that is here this morning, that they might know that despite perhaps not having the family in the traditional sense of our culture, that you have given them this family, to worship with, to fellowship with, and that together we might accomplish your will. Please continue to work through this body. Please continue to strengthen us as we go out into this community to be lights of grace in the darkness. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning, folks. Have a great week.